Hi, everybody. Before we get into this episode, I had to let you know, like I'm literally bursting at the seams, that on March 13th, Scouts Agency is launching something major. We have been working on this for months, all with the intention to serve your business expansion and catapult your brand awareness. Now, If you want to have first access at our early bird pricing plus access to bonuses, sign up on our waitlist at scoutsagency.com slash waitlist. There will be limited spots available, so if you've been ready to go from the plateaued business owner to the visible visionary, you're going to want first access. Again, that's scoutsagency.com slash waitlist. S-C-O-U-T-S-A-G-E-N-C-Y dot com slash waitlist to sign up for first access. I'm bursting at the seams and I know I have to keep this a secret for just a couple weeks longer, so cannot wait. Okay, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for pressing play. I am so excited because this episode is going to be a little bit different than the other episodes that I have put out. I was a guest on the How Do You Do podcast talking all about how I do PR, and I so enjoyed the conversation I had with host Ben Hanani, who also doubles as my sister's boyfriend, that I asked him if I could have the audio recording and publish the interview here. Um, What I loved so much about this interview is that a lot of the times when I do interviews, of course, we talk about uh, my agency and my entrepreneurial pursuits, but we also talk a lot about mental health where this episode was just entrepreneurship, just about my public relations agency, and it actually really allowed me a space to talk um, kind of very thoroughly about how I do what I do, why I started the agency, how I started the agency, how I write pitch letters, how I infuse it with create creative writing practices, um, my mindset around having clients. And so when I listened back, it was like this really big, it was a proud moment for me to hear myself for 30 minutes talk about how I do what I do. So I wanted to share it with you because I know that I also share entrepreneurial stuff on this podcast. Um, but I also wanted to give you an introduction into what the How Do You Do podcast is about. Um, it's led, as I said, or hosted, as I said, by my sister's wonderful boyfriend, Ben Hanani, who is a first-generation Iranian-American, and he asks guests from different fields um, basically about their creative process. So he's had um, the guy from Alfred on, Alex Benayan, co-founder of Mad Happy. It's pretty rad. So if you're interested in business and different types of business, this is the podcast for you. Ben is a really good host. Like he just asks the right questions and kind of brought everything out in me. So when I was listening back, I was like, fuck, I've done all that. That's fucking rad. And so in that pride, I thought maybe it could help some of you who are either interested in running your own agency or just interested in having your own thing. It kind of talks about my process, the things that I've learned along the years, the mindset tools I've exhibited, etc. So I hope you like this interview. And if you dig Ben, check out How Do You Do Podcast. Okay, enjoy guys. When I was a kid, I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue when I grew up. Now I am a PR agency owner and podcast host. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Scout Sobel. Scout started Scout's agency after recognizing the power of podcasts as a form of public relations. She set out to amplify female voices and brands by organizing podcast drives with clients like Kat Sadler, Lauren McGoodwin, and Kathy Heller, along with traditional PR services for brands like Bala and Remedy. Scout's agency opens up new audiences and garners up exposure for their clients so that they can tell their story across digital fronts. She's also the co-host of OKSIS Podcast, which she co-hosts with her sister, Maddie, aka my girlfriend. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Scout. Oh my God, this is the best day of my life. I am so excited. It's an honor to have you here. And I guess we'll start with the origin story of OKSIS Podcast and how that spiraled into Scout's agency. Yeah, so I started OKSIS Podcast with Mads, um, your girlfriend, about two and a half years ago. And it really started as, it was kind of like an impulse start. Uh, We, long story short, I had my own podcast and she was a guest and I ha- there was such an energy between the two of us that I wanted more of it in my life. And so we decided to start OKSIS. And about six months in, seven months into the podcast, or fuck, you know, the years are so weird now, I feel like. But um, I started realizing the power of podcasting on the guest side. I would notice that my community would go follow our guests on Instagram or buy their products. And then Mads and I started to be a guest on podcasts and we would see our downloads go up and our Instagram followers and people would be like, oh, I found you on Chatty Broads and oh, I found you on Mood by Lauren Elizabeth. And so I started realizing that podcasting is this new form of PR, but not only is it a form of PR, it's the most intimate, long form personal story because a lot of times traditionally PR has been the story is in the hands of the writer but with podcasting the story is in the hands of the guest and so I started the agency with that in mind and I didn't really know what I was doing I don't really know what I'm doing half of the shit I do Um, I just have an idea and then I execute I really didn't think like oh do I want to be an agency owner oh do I want to have clients Um, I was just working a day job and had always been super entrepreneurial and wanted to get back to being my own boss. And so I had this idea that I could help podcasters at first. And I got a media kit made up um, by a graphic designer that I knew. And I sent out over a thousand emails to podcasts the first week funny story, Gmail flagged me as spam and they blocked my account for 24 hours on the first day of sending out emails. And I was like, well, that's not going to work. So naturally I opened up a second email account and now I have like all these fucking emails because I kept, you know, doing pitching and through pitching, I think I pitched a total of 2000 podcasts in the beginning. I got a roster of 10, like five months, four months into the agency and uh, quit my day job by month three and then opened up the floodgates to representing clients that weren't in the podcast space, but that wanted to guest on podcasts like female entrepreneurs, female authors, female founded brands. And 
I just really stuck to to the ethos of representing women and having a space for women to tell their stories. And yeah, it's been now it's been two years since since launching and it's been the most personally development challenge I've had in my life. And it's also been definitely the most rewarding thing. And I'm sure two years in, there are probably some things that in the beginning you might have struggled with that now you could do in your sleep. But if you could go back and remember what it was like at the very beginning, how did you figure out, you know, what's what is a, what does a pitch letter look like? How do I make an effective pitch to this person? What are some of the basics that are crucial to your work? And how did you figure those out in the beginning? Because you obviously had the podcast background and you knew what it was like to pitch yourself as a guest to other podcasts. But it's a little different when you're responsible for somebody else's voice and their brand and figuring out how to convey that. So what was that like for you in the beginning, figuring out those processes? Yeah, so my first love was writing. So I have considered myself a writer my whole life. I have had a diary since I was in kindergarten and I was writing short stories and poems in middle school and I've kept a black moleskin notebook every year of my life. Um, so, and I studied writing in college and English in college. So I believe that my strong skill is writing and telling a story and finding out the gems of somebody and what makes them interesting. And funny enough, my favorite thing in journalism class was writing profiles. That was my favorite type of article, which makes a lot of sense that I would do an interview based podcast and write these pitches based off people. So really my whole training and everything that I loved had led me up to being able to communicate effectively um, in a way that was both emotional, inspiring, and very clear. And so I think right off the gate, that was my strong point. I received, I mean, I've heard this so many times that people would get on a call with me and say, you know, I get hundreds of pitches like this to be represented, and I just had to answer yours. Or... I don't actually take guest pitches for my podcast, but yours was really good. I want to have your client on. And so there's something about the way I approach my pitch letter writing. It's very creative. So for example, I represent Bala, which is an amazing company with trendy wrist and ankle weights. And I told a story about like this woman who's in this black parachute taffeta dress wearing her pink bangles to the cocktail party, right? I create this narrative and inspire the writer on the other end or the podcast host on the other end to dream up a story that involves my client. And so I really utilize creative writing. And there's also, you know, to get woo-woo, I also believe in the energy that you put behind every email. I have an energy where I just want to work with rad people. I don't want stress. I don't want toxic relationships. I don't want power struggles. I just want to serve and be a part of women's stories. And so I think that that the energy I put behind my emails coupled with this approach that I infuse a lot of creative writing into my pitch letters um, is something that I think is my superpower. You, you had great, you continue to have great success pitching podcasters and you also have added more to scouts agency where it now goes beyond just podcasting and you're doing traditional PR as well. What does it look like, you know, when you're doing your pitch, but for a different medium, is there something different? I know a lot of those things you talked about still apply, but are there different processes that go into it when you're pitching 
one of your clients to be on TV or in print versus on a podcast? Yeah. So I should say that I have no, literally no experience in PR, period. Um, And when I started the agency, my three services, which still hold true today, are that if you have a podcast, I book high profile guests. Um, Again, no prior connection to high profile guests, but I've been able to book people like Brian Grazer, Colby Colet, Ali Webb, Sophia Moroso, Amy Porterfield, Ben Higgins on my clients' podcasts. And then the second service was the podcast drive, which is getting individuals as guests on podcasts, which I've done for Rebecca Minkoff, Kat Sadler, Kelly Baker, Demona Hoffman, all these amazing women. And then the third service, which you're talking about now, traditional PR, I just fucking threw that in because I thought people would want it, right? I was like, I don't know if people yet understand the power of guesting on a podcast, but if I say I also do traditional PR, then I think people will sign with me. Mm. And I was right. Um, And then I had to figure out the traditional PR game, right? So I've had a lot of success that I'm, again, a tribute to my pitches, I believe, and just my tenacity to understand that in business for me, it's all about numbers, like the amount of output you put out, you have a greater chance of receiving input. So um, I started doing traditional PR and I've placed my clients in every major publication except the New York Times, but like Vogue and Marie Claire and InStyle, Forbes, Entrepreneur, BuzzFeed, you know, well and good, the whole fucking thing. And I think about the writer's perspective, like over time, I've been able to tweak pitches and add things in. But for example, I represent Vanessa Rossetto. She's a dietitian. So I know that to get her featured in a lot of things, like maybe to get her a full Q&A won't be the thing that hits all the time. But I know that women's health and shape are going to need expert quotes. They don't have a registered dietitian on their things. So I always say, do you need a quote? Do you need expert? Do you need like, you know, them to confirm your, your, your hypothesis, whatever it might be. And through that, she's been quoted everywhere, right? So for someone like Bala, they, you know, right now we're transitioning into telling the brand story, but they have a product-based. And what's the best way to get a product-based business out there is list articles. So, you know, there's Valentine's Day, there's there's uh, holiday gift guides. There's all of these things. There's Pride Month. There's Mother's Day. And so being ahead of it and getting them on those lists is really important. So I think about the strategy um, in the pitch letter. I think about what I want to, what kind of feature I want to get them in. Is it a quote? Is it a feature? Is it a list article, et cetera? And then I provide the information based off of that. I also, something that drives me crazy is when I get a PR pitch and nothing's linked. Like I make it so easy for the editor to very quickly assess and check out my client. Instagram linked, website linked, um, everywhere they've ever been featured. If If they had a Forbes feature, that's going in the pitch because that's credibility. So I try to take the whole approach of like, who is the client? What kind of feature am I asking you for the client? And then here's everything you need to know, all the shiny stuff, Instagram features, et cetera, et cetera. So it changes depending if I'm doing like a podcast pitch. Like with the podcast pitch, I write five things that my client can talk about so that the host can start imagining an episode around my client. Or So that's obviously not in the traditional PR, but I apply the same principles of trying to translate who my client is, what their brand is, 
what their product stands for in a way that's not boring, like in a way that you want to read it, right? And so a lot of the times that also sets the tone for the brand narrative when a writer wants to write about my client because they've heard me talk about it and they continue that tone into their piece, which I think is really helpful. So I'm not just connecting clients to features. I'm also influencing and establishing a brand narrative within within those features. And how closely are you collaborating with clients to come up with that narrative? I imagine some clients might be a little more hands-on. Some might want you to figure that out. What does that look like? I'm sure it varies a bit depending client to client, but if you could walk us through that collaboration with your client that happens before you even send out these pitches. Yeah, so we start with an onboarding call with all of our clients and I set up a team drive where I have a questionnaire. And so they fill out everything. I need personal bios, business bios, Instagram links, everywhere you've been featured, every podcast you've ever been on, um, the top five things you feel like you're an expert in, your top five business brags, um, all of the things, uh, what you want to avoid talking about. So a lot of the times some clients are either public facing and don't want to talk about their family or whatever it might be. And from there, I do a deep dive. Some clients, when... I will say that when it's um, like a business, like a Bala or an OXB or a product-based business, telling that brand narrative needs to be a little bit more collaborative with with my clients because sometimes the features aren't interviews. So my clients don't have the opportunity to speak for themselves. So the pitch letter is what sets that tone. For personal entrepreneurs like Demona Hoffman, She's um, a dating coach. She's Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore's like expert go-to dating coach on her show. Um, it's the brand narrative is is less important. It's more the way I talk to the person on the other end, because Demona gives me the expert information, like the dating coach stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But when you have a product-based brand, there's a story that you're telling. And so then I'll send the pitch letter to the client to be approved. Um, to if they want to add anything, et cetera, et cetera, because they really know the brand the best, right? I'm coming in in two weeks trying to write a pitch letter and understand them. So I am open to collaborating, of course, with my clients on that. And it, it just varies. Like some clients don't want to talk to me. Like they don't want to talk to me until I have something for them. And other clients want to be consistently involved. And it, it is a balance over like what is beneficial to both of us. But um, yeah, if I feel as if I'm trying to capture the essence and ethos of a brand, I involve the client. What kind of uh, conversations do you have with the client when it comes to, you know, metrics or a return on investment that indicate, you know, a successful outreach? Um, because I, I imagine at, at some level, some of it is pretty subjective. Like you can't know 100% how many placements you'll get, but but as a client, they're putting money in and they want to see a return on their investment. So how do you realistically convey to the client, this is what's possible, this is a bit of a reach? How do you go about that? And that is something I am consistently fine-tuning and something that I did not think about when I started this this agency, nor did I think about that I would be having clients. I don't know why it didn't occur to me because <laughs> I didn't think about it. And like I'm such a people pleaser and so... It hit me one day. I was I was like, I don't know why I remember this, but I was walking into my elevator to go up to my apartment at the time. And I said, oh, that's why I started an agency because God needed me to learn to stop being a people pleaser and to, you know, separate my my work from my worth. So 
managing expectations is something that I am super upfront about on sales calls. Unfortunately, in the world of PR, there is zero guarantee. I've had people ask me, you know, well, do podcasters have to say yes to you? And I'm like, yes, because I fucking own 400 podcasts and they all have to say yes to me. Like, what are you talking about? So people don't so much understand the way it works. And even if I have a relationship, like I have a really good contact at people and like she still didn't take a story of mine that I thought was perfect, right? Like I got the answer. I got it put up to the higher table, all the good stuff. So you have to understand as a PR agent that or in any service-based business, like your job is to get the client in front of the faces of the people who want, who need them to be in front of. Whether they say yes or no is completely out of your control, right? And so you have to relinquish that at some point and not necessarily tie your your skill set or your worth or your company's success to what those people say because being hung up in someone else's control can really mess with your mind. That being said, there are things that I tell clients. I say, look, there is no guarantee here. But I can say, after doing so many podcast drives, that we average two to four opportunities a month. That's our average. Now, if you tell me you only want to go on podcasts that are rated this higher and above, I will not give you an average because now you're limiting my scope and that's a whole different story. But if you give me free reign to put you on podcasts, knowing that this podcast didn't start yesterday and I'm going to put you on reputable ones, we can average you two to four a month. Um, Also, you know, getting on one huge podcast versus four small ones is a better deal. So we also have to understand quality versus quantity and weigh the differences. When it comes to traditional PR, it's harder to give an average. And so my contracts for PR are longer than they are for the podcast drive because PR takes longer to come to fruition. So, for example, I worked with a client on a two-month basis. It was like an intensive launch. Three months later, I'm getting emails from the pitches I sent out like, oh, hey, and now I need to write about that. So I do six-month contracts with clients because I can email a writer in January and then April, they come back to me. So it's such a long game and I have to manage my clients' expectations there. Of course, there are low-hanging fruits on smaller publications that I have great relationships with, newsletters, et cetera, that I can place my client just to get things rolling. But like that Shape feature or that Forbes feature or that Marie Claire feature, that's going to take some time. Sometimes it happens month one. Sometimes it happens month seven, right? So managing clients' expectations and talking really honestly with them, I think that's something that I do. You know, I'm not a big agency. I don't have 10, 20 people on my team, nor do I ever want to. It's boutique and small. And so I say, hey, I can't go to sleep at night if I've been charging you for months and months and nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't work for me personally. So I'm going to tell you, even if our contract is still going, if something's not working and you don't know if something's going to work until you test it out in the market and you see which writers bite and which editors bite. So it's, it's a tricky game. I have had clients by week two, by week two of pitching who I got them a good feature already. Tell me they were worried that we weren't seeing results and In the service-based industry, you need to be able to differentiate between what's their shit and what's their expectations and what's their convoluted idea of how this works 
and how good you are at your job. And so sometimes in the service-based industry with expectations, like you have to let them go because they're never going to be one satisfied or B understand how this actually works. So as much as I can manage expectations up front, people have ideas of what should or shouldn't happen in certain timelines. And you, and it took me a really long time to realize that I get to work with the clients that I want to work with. Just because I'm a service provider does not mean that everyone coming knocking on my door gets my attention, my services, no matter how much they pay me. I only work with clients that see the benefit in my work. I only work with clients that understand the timeline. I only work with clients that trust me and know that I'm working my ass off for them because that's an alignment for me too. And so once you start seeing it as a two-way dance, things start changing for yourself and your business as well as your personal fulfillment on a daily basis. But ROI with podcasts and PR is highly subjective. I say that if nothing else comes but money, you're going to get credibility. So I have a client who we put her in all these magazines and like she didn't directly get money from that, but then she got this job because of all of that. So mm. it's it's like stepping points that you can't always tie the knot. She got like 5,000 Instagram followers in six months. Like it's the results are always different. I always tell the story in the beginning of sales call that Mads and I went on a podcast that was huge, right? Huge. We were like so fucking stoked. We were ready when it was going to be published. We're like, let's watch the downloads go up. And it was crickets. It was crickets. Nothing fucking happened. And then I went on a podcast that was so much smaller and like everything went up. So I tell my clients that I like to place them in as many places as possible because we don't know what's going to stick until it's published. Yeah, it's so funny managing the expectations and being surprised at sometimes how things play out, how things might surprise you. Like even even on your own podcast, I'm sure you've experienced having someone who's a high profile guest who has a big following and maybe their episode didn't do as well as some somebody else who maybe doesn't have a fraction of that following, but for some reason people found it really compelling and the listens were much higher. I know I, I found that in my case and I can see how in PR you, you sometimes will be surprised at how a feature that you hung your hopes on um, might not pan out that way. And then another one that was, you know, kind of more trivial in your mind turns out to be a bigger deal. I think it's really impressive that you've been able to to set those boundaries, set those guidelines. It's very hard to do in the services industry because inherently it's a people pleasing job. So I think it's really comforting and reassuring for myself, for sure, and hopefully for people listening to hear that you can set that boundary for yourself. And in the long run, you'll probably, as, as you can probably attest, do better work because you have less anxiety so you could do a better job for the clients you have. Yeah, I remember the first few months of the agency, like God bless my husband, I was so, I was a mess. Like if a client was mad at me, I was destroyed for a whole day. I was like, should I do a whole month for free? Like, what do I do? All this stuff. And it ate at me so much that it forced me to look at my people pleasing tendencies. And it also, also made me step in my power. Like I have 15 clients. Like if you're going to take up 90% of my time, there's the door. Like I don't need it. I don't need it in my life. I don't need it in my business. And when you free up people like that or energy like that, it gives you so much more room to invite things that are in alignment and clients that you can serve to the highest ability and that treasure you, you treasure them. It's a mutually beneficial situation. So I think that for a long time, it took me, it took me to realize that these people don't pay my full-time salary. So I don't, 
I don't need to show up for them in that capacity, but I do need to show up in integrity and with passion and, and like, you know, interest in helping them, which, which I do tenfold. But once I realized that this is my space, it was a game changer. Like I now today, if a client isn't working, it's done. Like it's not worth it for my mental health. And also it loses the business money. I had a client who was taking up so much of my time that I literally couldn't get to sales for a month. And mm. therefore I lost opportunities to bring in new clients that were a highest higher paying and be more in alignment. And then another tip real quick that I've realized is that the person who pays you the least is usually, you can't say always, but usually the most demanding. So there is something to be said about someone who stands in their energetic worth and says, I'm paying you the full price because one, you're worth it. And two, I'm worth it. Um, that relationship off the bat is going to be so much better than someone that you start giving big discounts and like changing your contract deals. It's, it doesn't, it never works. Yeah. I found that too. It's how important it is to start off a working relationship firing in all cylinders, because if that's not the case, it's usually a sign of even greater troubles to come ahead. So it's a good thing to figure out up front. And uh, sometimes it's hard to, in my experience, it's been hard to come to terms with that. It sometimes results in a hard conversation to have. But in my experience, it's also resulted in a huge weight being off my shoulders and a lot smoother of a process going forward. So I think uh, I think that's a very valuable lesson. And uh, I feel like we've gotten a great PR masterclass. We've gotten a great just working life masterclass today. So let's transition into our fun little rapid fire questions as we wind down. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? I mean, it's obviously Instagram. Like you can't live without <laughs> Instagram. I'm trying to think of what other app that I use that much. And it's that's that's the one. Yeah, I'm up there with you. And uh, who would you like to play you in a movie about your life? You know, probably like Rooney Mara or Mary-Kate Olsen, someone kind of twisted and a little bit of an enigma, even though I'm so not an enigma. I, I The quality I most wish for myself is to be a little mysterious and um, I'm in the podcast game, so it's a no for that situation. <laughs> so um, probably Rooney Mara. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? One skill, uh, oh, duh, to be able to see myself the way other people see me. Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Japan. What's a song you like to jam to right now? Um, You know, I am so bad at music. I would say right now I like jamming to the Grateful Dead. And lastly, where can people follow you on social media and learn more about Scouts Agency? You can follow me at Scout Sobel, which is my personal Instagram. You can follow my agency at Scouts Agency, my podcast at OKSIS Podcast. Um, but all of these tags are in the link in my bio on my personal at Scout Sobel. And if you want to get yourself on a bunch of podcasts, you can email me scout at scoutsagency.com. Awesome. And if you're interested in the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at hdydpod. Thank you so much, Scout. This was so informative and fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.